0: Again, thanks for listening, and may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God our Father and of Jesus our Lord. Now, the beginning of our time of worship today was to try to lay a foundation for considering this this topic of thankfulness and thanksgiving. What is it to be a thankful people? I think that uh, probably... And I think I can say this without overgeneralizing. There are some things you have to be careful that they aren't true when you generalize. But I think we can safely say every person recognizes inherently the virtue of this thing called thankfulness. We teach our kids, be thankful, be grateful. Every culture, every time, every people, regardless of religion or anything else, have some sense that it's, it's virtuous. It's a good thing to be thankful And Thanksgiving time is a time when we're we're mindful of that. We gather together and and often we sit around Thanksgiving tables. I've I've done this where you go around the table and everybody says what they're thankful for. And and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think often what we tend to do is we focus on or we give our attention to the matter of being thankful, the importance of being thankful without really thinking about how to understand thankfulness. Not just what are we thankful for, but what really is thankfulness as God understands it. You know, we all know we ought to be thankful. And if you're like me, you struggle with thankfulness. There are things that that, uh, draw our hearts away. There are things that preoccupy us. There are things that really distract us from this thing of thankfulness. But as I said, very often I, I find, certainly I've found this with myself, and I think it's generally true that even as Christians, we tend to be thankful in the same way that everybody is thankful. When we think of thankfulness, we tend to think of it in the way that every person thinks about it. Maybe the one difference is that we direct our thanks to this being that we know as the god of the bible as opposed to maybe just thanking our good fortune or some mystical idea of providence or some you know ethereal powers out there or even in a certain sense thanking ourselves for our hard work and and uh, all of our diligence in the things that we apply ourselves to in life our thankfulness Human thankfulness in the general sense, and even as Christians, our thankfulness is characteristically personal, circumstantial, and subjective. Personal, circumstantial, and subjective. In other words, our thankfulness depends on and is driven by the correlation between our expectations and our actual experiences if you will, be the correlation between what we, how we think things ought to be and how they actually meet our experience. And to the extent that those two things correlate, we're thankful. When life looks the way that we think it should look, when marriage or work or circumstances or finances or whatever, when life looks the way we expect it to look, then our hearts begin to recognize that realization of our expectations in this thing that we call thankfulness. Our thankfulness is personal, it's circumstantial, it's tied to our circumstance, and it's subjective. What we're thankful for, somebody else might not be thankful for. That's the way that we are naturally thankful But my point in bringing that up, and I think if we look at ourselves, we can say, yeah, that that pretty much defines how we tend to naturally do this thing called thankfulness and thanksgiving. But my point is that when we come to the scriptures and we begin to look at how the scriptures understand this thing of thankfulness, it's a very, very different thing than that. We read through the scriptures and we see this word, give thanks, or this this expression, give thanks, or thankfulness, or thanksgiving, and we port it through our natural sense of what that means. And so we believe that to please God means that we will give thanks for our blessings, whatever we think they are, and recognize that he gives us the good things that we have and that we enjoy. And I'm not illegitimizing that whole cloth, but the Bible understands thankfulness in a different way, in a way that even frames that sort of thankfulness that I just mentioned. And so what that means is that our natural way of understanding thankfulness falls short of what the scripture really calls us to. And I would argue it even ends up bearing false testimony. It lies against the truth of what thankfulness actually is. And so my point as kind of a starting point is that it really doesn't matter so much that we are thankful, but how we are thankful. The issue isn't so much, are you thankful? The issue is how do you understand and manifest thankfulness? When we come to the scriptures, the scripture, interestingly, and I'm right now talking about the Old Testament in the Hebrew language, um, and some of you have heard me say this before, but to me it's very significant. The Hebrew scriptures, the Hebrew Old Testament, does not have a separate distinct word or concept of thanksgiving or thankfulness. What is typically rendered thank- giving thanks or thanksgiving or thankfulness in the scripture is a connotation of another idea. The fundamental idea of which thankfulness is a connotation is the concept of confession. And not confession in the sense of confessing your sins or holding to the Westminster confession, or even what we call our confession that is our you know our our personal statement of salvation you know we we, we give our confession uh, to people what is our statement of faith it 's not that it's confession that has its its corollary in the New Testament idea of homologeo or to say the same thing confession is fundamentally the idea of agreeing with god it's to articulate in our minds and with our words the same truth that god himself has made known to confess is to agree with god And this idea of thankfulness is a connotation of that. In the theological word book of the Old Testament, in commenting on that Hebrew term, the writer says this, the best rendering of the term is actually confession. This verb was predominantly employed in the Hebrew scriptures to express one's public proclamation or declaration of God's characteristics, his attributes, and his works a public proclamation or declaration of the God of Israel. This concept is at the heart of the meaning of praise. Praise is a confession or declaration of who God is and what he does. And that's important too, because praise is another common word in the Christian vernacular. We talk about praise bands or praise services or praise this or praise that. But how often is it connected in a vital, truthful, intimate way to the truth of who God is, what he says, what he's done, the meaning of who he is, what he's done. Praise is a confession or declaration of who God actually is and what he does. The term is most often translated in English versions, by this idea of thanking or thankfulness, but that is really not a proper rendering. The Old Testament does not have our independent concept of thanks. The expression of thanks to God is a subset of praise. It is a way of praising, as praise is confession. So there are some important implications of this. First of all, thankfulness is grounded in discerning and agreeing with the God who actually is. Not the being that we invent in our heads or that we think is this G.O.D. person that we find mentioned in the scripture or wherever. I believe in God. Okay, well, who is he? Well, I believe in him. Thankfulness begins with, it's grounded in, it depends upon, first of all, discerning and agreeing with the God who is true. The God who has revealed himself, how do we know who this God is? He's revealed himself through his words and his works. Ultimately, words that he fulfills with his works, and then words that interpret the meaning of his works. Words and works working together in that way. Hence, Jesus' own insistence that he is the truth. Because he is the embodiment, he's the the logos, right? The incarnate word of God. He is the embodiment of all that God has said and demonstrated what he means by what he says, by what he does. He's the embodiment of the word and the work of God. In Christ, we see the truth of who this God is. And therefore, if thankfulness is a form of praise, as praise is tied to this idea of confessing, agreeing with the truth of who God is, thankfulness in the biblical sense has Christ at the center of it. There is no thankfulness that doesn't discern and agree with and in a sense appropriate the truth of God in Jesus the Messiah. That sort of thankfulness then is obviously a fruit of God's illumining and renewing work. We can talk about natural thankfulness. We can talk about human thankfulness. And because people are the image and likeness of God, there is this compulsion in us towards thankfulness. Even to try to, in a sense, extend that thankfulness to a divine being as we understand him. But ultimately, the thankfulness that the scriptures hold up as a virtue and call human beings to is the fruit of this renewal that has come in Jesus. It is, if you will, an expression of this reality of new creation. And so thirdly then, thankfulness is ontological and relational rather than circumstantial. And I'll explain what I mean. Ontological means that it has to do with our very beings. Thankfulness is first of all, in the scriptural sense, intrinsic to our humanness as God created us to be. Thankfulness speaks to who we are more than what we do. It's an intrinsic expression of our restored humanness and ultimately that reconciled humanness that, it, that that binds us together with God himself thankfulness is not circumstantial it's ontological it has to do with our very beings and as our beings are related to God it is ontological and it is relational So, thankfulness has to be understood in terms of this idea of confession, but that leads us then to the relation between thankfulness and worship. Because thankfulness is a connotation of confession, and confession involves open agreement with the truth as it exists in God and as He reveals it, in other words, as it converges in the person of Jesus Himself. Thankfulness is absolutely fundamental to worship. It's fundamental to worship, which manifests itself, worship manifests itself in this thing called praise. You see this dynamic in Israel's thank offering. A thank offering was a subset of the peace offerings. The peace offering stood in the context of a right relation with God Peace offering meant that there was no sin offering or, or any kind of a burnt offering, any kind of reconciling or restoring offering that needed to be made. A thank offering is a vol- volitional, voluntary form of peace offering that expresses fellowship. A thank offering was a kind of meal. It involved the priest, the person, and God himself. It was relational. And you see in Israel's practice of worship, thanks and praise, thanks and praise as rehearsing who this God is and what he's done. That's why I picked these scriptures that I did today, because you see throughout the Psalms, which were the Psalms were Israel's worship liturgy. Jesus was raised learning, singing, reciting the Psalms. They were the center of Israel's worship liturgy. And the heart of the Psalms is the rehearsing of this God who has made covenant, who has shown himself faithful, who is carrying his purposes forward to the day when he will finally accomplish this renewal of all things. Their worship was praise that was praising that God who has promised those things, who has done those things, who will yet consummate those things in the day that is yet to come. And praise and thanksgiving, therefore, are closely tied in the scriptures to this theme of covenant faithfulness. You hear me say that all the time. When the scripture talks about God being faithful, it means that he will uphold these relational commitments, not just to human beings, but to the whole creation. God will do what he has pledged himself to do. The idea of loving kindness... Is covenant faithfulness, and you see that again throughout the Psalms. I won't take the time to go there, but you you can just read this throughout the Psalms. It's everywhere, and especially I'll direct you to Psalm one thirty six because it's just it's a statement with for His. Covenant faithfulness is everlasting, a statement, for his covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness, his chesed is everlasting. For his loving kindness is everlasting, for his loving kindness is rehearsing all of what God has done and what he will do. Israel's song of praise and worship to God, Psalm 136. You see this idea at the center of Solomon's, the worship of Israel when the temple is dedicated in 1 Kings 8. You see this same idea when you have the dedicating, uh, you know, in Ezra, when the temple is, is rebuilt, the way the people are worshiping God. Later under Nehemiah, when the walls of Jerusalem are rebuilt, the way that Nehemiah prays, the way that the people worship. The way that Daniel prays in Daniel 9 when he comes to realize that Israel's exile is not the final word. Seventy years are ordained for your people. And the promise of renewal, the promise of restoration, the promise that God will be faithful to his covenant. You see it in the scenes of worship in Revelation. Look in chapter 5, look in chapter 15, look in chapter 19, where these worship scenes take place. It's not, oh God, you are good and full stop. Worthy are you because you have done this, you have done this, you have done this, you have kept covenant, you have been faithful. It's praise that is grounded in confession, agreeing with this God who is Knowing, affirming, embracing him as he truly is and according to what he has done. The worship context in the scriptures keep reaffirming this over and over and over again. And this, saints, is the sense in which we have to put Jesus at the center of our worship. Because all of these things are yes and amen in him. The faithfulness of God, the truthfulness of God, the God who keeps his word. Look at even Zacharias's spirit-filled benediction in Luke chapter 1. God, you have kept covenant. You have remembered your mercies to David, your covenant, your oath to Abraham. As, as his son John the Baptist is born, he knows that the birth of John is the heralding of the Messiah. And in the spirit, he throws out this this song of worship to God when his voice comes back. And it's all about rehearsing again this God who covenanted to Abraham and pledged and promised, and now that day has at last come. The time of renewal, the time when God will judge all things so that he will bring in his everlasting renewal in the Messiah, who is the first fruits of his new creation That's the sense in which Jesus is the center of our worship. And I'm not against contemporary worship songs per se, but so often all of this is missed. We just say, ooh, Jesus, I love you, ooh, Jesus, I love you 50 times, but we have no idea who he is, right? We just know we love him. And really, we're, we, we invent him to be whatever we want him to be. He's a projection of our own desires, our own interests. He's the one who satisfies our longings and gives us all of the things that we want. And eventually will whisk us up into heaven where we get to walk on streets of gold and go have dinner with him on Easter or something. But right, I mean, it's just there's no definition to any of this. Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, is at the center of our worship in this sense, that he is the one in whom all of who God is, all of God's word, all of God's integrity, all of his promises, all of his faithfulness are yes and amen. Amen. So as we prepare to come to the table today, I just want to put out a few things for us to think about in terms of, okay, how do we become thankful people then? And I hope that at this point it's already clear that it's an issue more of how we think than what we say or do. But first of all, and most basically, thankfulness is not an option. It's not like it's a good idea. It's not like it's a virtue to aspire towards. Thankfulness is not an option. Failing to be thankful is denying the truth. Christians are to be truth tellers, truth livers, embodiment of the truth as it is in Christ. We are his fragrance. We are testifiers of him in the world. And a lack of thankfulness in the, in the scriptural sense is a lying against the truth. How so? Again, because if we are in the Messiah, then we have been made to be the human beings that God created us to be. And thankfulness is intrinsic to our humanness. It is what we are. It is not what we do. And when we are unthankful, we're lying against the truth of who we are. We're lying against the truth of God's renewal in the Messiah. We're lying against the truth of what Jesus actually accomplished by his death and resurrection. But also, this consideration today hopefully gives us a little better sense of how it is that we are to be thankful. In other words, what does true thankfulness look like? And foremost in that, thankfulness has God as its object, not simply as its referent. In other words, it's not just that we give thanks to God, God is the very substance of our gratitude. We don't direct our thanks for our good fortune to him as some remote deity off you know, somewhere who, who has blessed us with some good thing that we're happy with. He himself is the substance of our gratitude. As I said, in the Old Testament, thankfulness is an intrinsic aspect of the praise that is the authentic and informed confession of truth as all truth is bound up in the God who has revealed himself fully, exhaustively in Jesus our Lord. And that parallels itself in the New Testament as well. Thankfulness, that idea, Eucharistia, if you will, is a gratitude that is directed toward God as God is the one, the gracious one, the effectual working God who has fulfilled and is filling out, ultimately consummating his purposes for the creation in Christ himself. There's only one exception of that sort of God word thankfulness and that's where Uh, Paul, when he stands before Felix in Acts 24, he says, We're grateful to you, Felix, for all of the things that you've done to help our nation. But other than that, this idea of Eucharistia, thankfulness, always is this gratitude to the God who has acted faithfully, lovingly, powerfully in the Messiah and is now working towards this goal of summing up everything in him. The Old Testament and New Testament idea correspond very tightly in that way. To me, significantly, even as we come to the table today, you have the transformation of the Passover itself. And we've discussed in many contexts the significance of this table in terms of even the things we're talking about today. What God has accomplished in his son. But the transformation of Israel's Passover becomes the Eucharistia the thankfulness to God. Anybody heard the term Eucharist before? That's where it comes from. Eucharistia, the thanksgiving to God. Third, thankfulness, and this is something that, again, you're going to have to think about and don't stumble over this, but thankfulness has nothing to do with temporal and material circumstances as such. And I put that qualifier on there, as such, because I don't want you to hear me saying, oh, we're not supposed to be grateful for material blessings or the the good things that God has given to us, and I'm not saying that but I'm saying that thankfulness has nothing to do with circumstantial things as such. It's independent of them. Thankfulness speaks to our discernment of and relationship with the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. That says nothing about our bank accounts. It says nothing about our marriages. It says nothing about our health. It says nothing about anything in terms of our circumstances under the sun. Thanksgiving has to do, in the first instance, with who we are. Not what we have, not what we do. It's a fundamental expression of the true human existence that is, as Paul puts it, life hidden with Christ in God. I want you this week to, to look at the way Paul deals with this issue of thankfulness in terms of circumstances in, in um, Colossians 3 and 4 and, and maybe particularly Ephesians 4 and 5. But just to pull a little bit out of Colossians 3, look at how Paul deals with this, the framework for thankfulness. If then you've been raised up with Christ, and he constructs that in a way where he's saying, and you have. If you've been raised up with Christ and you have, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. And he's not talking about thinking about some remote place called heaven. He's saying you've been raised up to be seated in the Messiah himself. Taken up in the life of God. Keep your mind in that place. Live in that world. Order your thinking and your life according to that truth. That's what he's saying. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so when Christ, who is our life, not Jesus in my heart, not Jesus in my life, Christ, who is our life, is revealed when he's disclosed at the parousia, when he's made manifest on the last day, you will also be manifest with him in the same glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. It's on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. When God finally does away with everything that contradicts, he says, these are a part of that. And that's what he has dealt with even in your case, in your share in the Messiah. In them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you put them aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. And don't lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no longer these human distinctions of Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but one in which Christ is all and in all. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all of this, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. Literally, what he says is become thankful ones. He doesn't say give thanks when something comes to mind. He says become thankful. A new kind of person, a person defined by this thing called thankfulness. Become thankful ones. It's who we are, it's not what we do. Why? Because of this new creation, this renewal that has come in the Messiah, that we are sharers in, that we are first fruits in, in Him, that we testify to the world concerning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Thankfulness is who we are. It's not what we do. And when it doesn't manifest itself in our hearts and in our minds and in our mouths, we're contradicting the truth of who we are in Christ himself. So our thankfulness does extend to what we would call temporal blessings or the blessings of this life. But that thankfulness has to, in a sense, look through those things It has to perceive and acknowledge the truth of the purpose and function of those things. When we think about our relationships, and again, read uh, uh, Colossians 3 and 4. Read Ephesians 4 and 5. Paul doesn't say, don't be thankful for your families. Don't be thankful for your wives and your husbands but when he tells husbands how to think about their wives and wives how to think about their husbands and the and the attitude they're to have towards them he, he he doesn't say be thankful that God gave you a wife in the way that we tend god thank you for giving me a wife or the way children you know little children pray thank you for mommy thank you for daddy thank you for fido thank you for whoever right Paul says, when I instruct you concerning the gratitude that you have as husbands and wives towards one another, I'm really talking about the dynamic of Christ in his church. And so I tell people all the time, and it's easier to tell people than to practice it, but nonetheless, I tell people all the time that the answer to marital issues is not to simply say, okay, start respecting your wife, start respecting your husband. The answer is to recognize if we are husband and wife together in Christ, our marriage just happens to be the way one component of the actual relationship that we have, which is our shared union in one another in the Messiah. Marriage is not the relationship. Union in Christ is the relationship, if we're both believers. That's what's going to continue forever. And that's why Paul says, when you understand Christ and his church, then the way you think about your wife isn't, okay, she's my wife, I need to take better care of her, whatever, or be kinder to her, whatever. Or it's too bad she won't be my wife in heaven because I really love her and I'd like for her to be my wife. It's to recognize the true relationship is that I am in her, she is in me because we are sharers in the life of God in the Messiah. The same relationship that we have with every Christian, we are truly members of one another. It's a mystical thing. But the truth of me doesn't exist except in relation to every other believer. The meaning and the truth of the parts is in the whole. Look at how Paul deals with things in 1 Corinthians 12, the body. Well, so that husband should think about his wife as she is a member of him. When he loves her, he loves himself. She's a member of him. Not just in terms of marriage, but in terms of union in Christ. So you think about these relationships with people through the lens of God's intent to form one human organism in his son. That's why I read from Colossians 3. Paul doesn't just say, be kind to each other, forgive each other. He says, have a context for understanding one another, who you are in relation to one another. So are we grateful for our relationships? Yes, but through the lens of, again, this purpose of God, even in forming a human race, a human organism in the Messiah, That's the way in which we think about our children. We think about the people that we interact with. That's the way we think about our brothers and sisters. That's the way we think about our husbands and wives. That's why Paul can't imagine a Christian man and a Christian woman ending their marriage. Because they're joined to one another everlastingly in the Messiah. It's not so much a doctrine of divorce as it's an understanding of what it is to be mutual sharers in Christ himself. A totally different perspective. Do we give thanks for the earthly pleasures and delights for the provision of this life? Yes. God's goodness is over all of his works. I read Psalm 104 because there is a praising God for the goodness in the natural creation and the way that he provides for us in the creation. But what is our gratitude? Is it just that there's food on the table? Is it just that there's a roof over our head? God has created a good world, and it's not going away. It's going to be perfected. And we are fitted to this world, right? There's a reason we don't want to die and go off to some strange, nebulous place that we call heaven and live in some disembodied, weird way, as so many people think is the outcome. No, because God created us to be fitted to this world, And his intent is that we will rule and reign with Christ over the perfected works of God's hands forever. So the goodness that we find in this life, the goodness that we find in in the way God orders things, the way that he provides, the way that he does things, all of that testifies again. Our thankfulness testifies to the fact that this is God's design. And it's good that we delight in it. It's good that we embrace it recognizing that God made us for this world. We are fitted for it. Paul says to Timothy in a passage that we often misunderstand, he says, the spirit explicitly says that in these later times, these times that have now come in the Messiah, there will be those who will fall away from the faith. They will pay attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. They will tell you to go do a whole bunch of wicked things. No, By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences, they they are men who will forbid marriage and will advocate abstaining from foods, things which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thankfulness. For it is sanctified, it is made holy by God's own word, God's own declaration concerning it, and by our prayer of gratitude and thanksgiving. The doctrine of demons is do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, go hide in a cave. We misunderstand what Paul says is to love this world, what Paul calls worldliness. He calls the doctrine of do not taste, do not touch, do not handle worldliness because that's how people naturally think holiness looks like not touching certain things outside of me instead of dealing with what's up here God would have us to be grateful for all that he's provided in this world but what sanctifies it what makes it good what makes our gratitude good is when we see those things through the lens of God's design for the creation and our place in it does that make sense And that even explains to us how we are to be thankful in adversity and suffering. The issue isn't thank you, God, for giving me cancer, or pretending that we're thankful that we got cancer. The issue is, again, stepping back and saying that God's design is ultimately to renew all things in His Son. And the world as we know it is still groaning under the affliction of the curse. But we live in the hope of the day when all of that will be gone. And so suffering is going to be a part of this life. But it's also a part of God's purpose in that we learn sonship. We grow in our transformation into Christ's likeness through the things that we suffer The suffering itself is a part of the curse, but the suffering in God's hands, in the Christ who reigns with all authority and power and dominion, is the goodness of God in perfecting us. And if we think that's not the way it should work, then we don't understand the perfecting of the son. Because Jesus learned sonship through the things he suffered. It's not an issue of sin or no sin. It's about how do we learn, how do we grow up in what it is to be truly, fully, consummately human, dependent, holding on to God in all things at all times with hearts of joy and gratitude and peace. It's by learning how to hold on to him in suffering. It's the goodness of God. And so like every aspect of our lives in Christ, our thankfulness has to be an expression of faith and not sight. And with this, I'm done. I've kind of gone full circle. I said most of us, we view thankfulness essentially the way unbelievers do. And it's because we view it through this thing called sight rather than faith. There are two ways to live life. We all live in our minds. We all view everything through the grid of our minds. That mind can either be a mind driven by sight, in other words, what we know, what we think, what we experience, what we expect, what we predict, what life has told us is true, or faith, which is what God says is true. Our gratitude in the context of sight, when when we're thankful according to this principle of sight, then our gratitude is always bound by our perception and our judgment of the circumstances of our life. And how many of you have known people who have walked away from the faith? Maybe they grew up in the church, but they walked away because it didn't turn out the way they thought it should. And Jesus said, you know, there are those who receive the word with joy, but trouble and tribulation, difficulty comes and it chokes it out and makes it unfruitful. And people say, if God existed, it would look like this. If God was good, it would look like that. If God was good, he would heal my child. If God was good, he would do the, you know, fill in the blank. And therefore, God isn't good. It's our aligning our sense of what ought to be with what is, and when they don't fit together, we say, no, this isn't a God that I can bind myself to. Thankfulness by sight means that we are thankful for what comes from God rather than God himself. You've heard me say many times that faith believes the God who has promised not the promises of God And, and why do I say that because when we claim the promises of God we claim what we think that is and what that's going to look like here's my life verse I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me right or here's my life verse I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. Okay, I'm waiting for my abundant life. Where's my Mercedes or whatever it happens to be? And I'm, obviously I'm being a little bit facetious. But you see what I'm saying? When we claim the promises of God, we believe him for his promises. We're, we're expecting it to look a certain way. Faith believes the God who has promised the Old Testament saints were believing that God would do in the coming day what he had promised he would do. And when it came in Jesus, it didn't work. You know, the, the people of his generation said, that's not it. It can't look like that. And they rejected him. But those who looked with the eyes of faith, they didn't know how it was going to work out, but they knew that God would keep his word exactly as he intended. And that's why I say faith trusts the God who has promised, not the promises in the way that we think we understand them. And that same dynamic works with thankfulness. Thankfulness is an acknowledgement of the God who is the giver, not of the expectation of certain gifts or the assessment of certain gifts. That is why and how we can be thankful in all things. Paul says, be thankful in everything. That is the will of God for you. Not be thankful for everything, be thankful that you, know, you lost your leg in a car accident. Well, you should be able to even look beyond that and say, this is a part of the goodness of God in the perfecting of his work in my life. As I am a critical piece in this work of renewing and restoring all things and summing them up in the Messiah. So as we come to the table today, then I hope that we'll come with an understanding again of this this thing of thankfulness, the truth of what it is to be a thankful people. We'll come to the table, I hope, according to this principle of the Eucharistia, thanksgiving directed to the God who has been faithful in the Messiah. And if we are Christian saints, we are the walking, breathing, living proof that God is faithful. And that is our testimony to the world. God is faithful. He has done what he said. He has brought life and given immortality in the Messiah. We are sharers in him. Let me pray and then we'll come to our time of prayer and and, uh, meditation as we prepare for the table. Father, I hope that these things haven't left anyone here today confused or perplexed or or in in any way uh, spun up. I, I hope that this has been in a right sense a breath of fresh air that has been a, a renewed refreshing a, a call to again consider what it is to be a thankful people really what it is to be sharers in this work of power that you have wrought in the messiah Paul prayed on behalf of the the saints at, at, at Ephesus that they would know, that they would know what is the hope of their calling, that they would know the riches of their inheritance together with all the saints. And that they would know in their own experience the exceeding greatness of the power of their God. The power that raised Christ from the dead and that has raised them up and seated them in the heavenly places in him. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Such that all things are in subjection under his feet. And yet we his people who are sharers in that mercy and that life are the fullness of of the one who fills all in all. What a privilege, what a high calling. Father, I pray that we come to the table and partake in, in a, a renewed sense of partaking in the Messiah in that way, with hearts filled with gratitude. Work in each heart here today. Build up those who are yours and those who perhaps don't know you. Cause them to catch a glimmer as Paul would say, of the glory of the living God that is in the face of Christ, the goodness of our God. The goodness of our God. The God whose goodness is over all of his works. Bless us as we come to the table, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.